a little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day to everybody and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderin in Wisconsin. Down in Texas is Armand Kafai. And nobody from Minnesota joined the program. Jake Watrova has the weekend off. Armand, busy week in U.S. soccer. You had the U.S. Open Cup, U.S. Men's National Team, U.S. Women's National Team. The World Cup starts. The 2026 World Cup bid might be awarded to America. Or North America, I should say. Champions League's been added to FIFA. I mean, it's just been busy for soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun, busy week for soccer uh, in the States. And it's it's been fun. I'll tell you that. This last week has been entertaining to watch, especially in some of the instances when you're not involved in it and some of the stuff you are involved in it. But, I mean, it's, it's great. Uh, it's great to be involved in soccer, even though we're not in the World Cup. Yeah, that that womb is going to be ripped wide open come Thursday when Russia kicks off. Uh, but this is an Uncle Sam soccer podcast miniseries. This miniseries is going to take us and look at the different dynamics and the ripple effect of the Columbus crew relocating to either Sacramento, to Austin, or even staying in Columbus. We're going to have different guests on looking at the different cities impacted and you'd be surprised how big the ripple effect yeah i mean if you think about it if austin becomes a thing san antonio bids completely killed off there's no way mls expands into san antonio especially if there is austin you have a void in columbus does mls think cincinnati can fill that void and then you also all, all around well, you also lose you lose the the rivalry, the dynamic. rivalry, yes, the dynamic between the hell is real rivalry. Mm-hmm. Yep, you end up you end up losing that. Uh, you could it, it, there's a lot of things you could open up Pandora's box, and all of a sudden you have a team such as let's say I'm just gonna throw a team out there struggles with attendance, Colorado. But let's just say I like picking on Colorado because they're not that good right now, but. I hope for my Colorado bros to get better. But let's say Colorado gets a new owner and they're like, oh, this isn't really working out. I mean, they're also owned by Kroenke, who did move his team from St. Louis to Los Angeles in the NFL. But let's say 
it's not going so well. All right, well, you already set the precedent with this relocation thing, so uh, Colorado, we're going to relocate you somewhere else. Who knows? There's a lot more than just well, think about the this, team leaving Columbus. Think about this dynamic. MLS wants to continue to expand. We have Nashville and FC Cincinnati coming on board. Uh, there's also two more spots up for grabs. Well, if the Columbus crew relocates Sacramento, we don't know, and we're not whatsoever suggesting that's going to happen. We just know a conversation has taken place. If, But if that were to happen, MLS would gain three expansion teams for the price of two. Columbus crew would relocate to Sacramento. That means MLS can go around and bid to now, I think the list would go from eight to seven so every team has an increased chance of becoming an mls side but mls will also lose 150 million dollars if the crew relocate to sacramento because what is sacramento's biggest problem they don't have the financial resources there's plenty of dynamics out there and there's also more dynamics that we've heard such as the austin clause don garber has talked about it but is there a way that they can get out of that deal? Is, is, is there a way? Is this just a way of saying, hey, Precourt wants to leave to go to the Republic Group, give them that funding, and then leave Columbus alone? There's plenty of dynamics out there that need to be played. And it was kind of, you know, Jake had a great point in the last episode. No one was linking Columbus to Sacramento. There was... Did you hear anything like that? I've no. Seen maybe, I mean, in, I've seen in art in articles like when Precourt was asked, "Hey, uh, would you consider moving to Sacramento?" And he said, "No, our focus is on Austin." No one really brought that up until uh, we heard it on MLS Rewind. So it kind of threw a wrench, and everyone is sitting here, kind of, I guess, confused. Is the right word? Uh, it's very confusing because. It it really began with your text message of the of the suggestion that Taylor Twellman spitballed. I use his word of spitball because that's what he tweeted at us when he suggested that the crew will not relocate to Austin but somehow end up in Sacramento. And that right there just sounds confusing in itself because why would Taylor Twellman suggest that? Why does he think that? If that's his opinion, why? Ask yourself why or how has he come to this conclusion? You form opinion based on what you know and based on what you have learned. Okay, it's like Armand Kafai who covers FC Dallas. Well, if he suddenly puts out a tweet saying, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if Chicharito lands in Dallas, you'd sit there and go, wait, wait, wait a minute. Dan Hunt might splash the money. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, why would Armand Kafai tweet something like that? It's because he knows something. He covers the team. He's there. Taylor Twellman is in MLS. He is MLS. He is one of the icons of MLS with the concussions, what he does with ESPN. Goal scoring. Goal scorer. What, what, his tirade with the U.S. men's national team. He is one of the faces of U.S. soccer when it comes to media personalities. Well, then we made some phone calls across U.S. soccer as a whole, and we were let uh, we were tipped off by a source saying that there's a conversation between Sacramento and PSV, and then that's when we thought Taylor Twellman was on to something. And also, the news broke out about how 
Austin's uh, the stadium the, where they want to place the stadium now has a new bid, which I think is worth more than uh, how much PSV was offering for the land. So there's a lot of things coming up. I mean, we're hearing all this Austin, this Austin, that. Steven, you're of the mindset that you think they're gone. Oh, I um, I believe this is hand over heart, just my personal opinion. I believe MLS wants the crew gone. They have come too far. It would be almost too hard to turn around now. They want out. My my conclusion is I don't think it's 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 kind of fifty fifty at this point. Like I said, the more quiet it was, the more likely it was going to happen. But that quietness has kind of gone away. We've seen. The reports about McCullough Place now not being as what there's been a lot of objection uh, behind that. Uh, the USL team lobbying it's not quiet anymore. It's a lot of chatter going around. My question is: is a team in Austin vi- is a team in Austin viable? Well, that's, that, that's, that's my gra- question. That's a great question, Armand. Throughout this mini-series, we're going to ask those questions. We're going to try to answer them. We're going to try to bring clarity to this confusion regarding pre-court, the Columbus crew, and the term relocation, wherever that may be. On this episode, we'll talk to Andrew Erickson of the Columbus Dispatch. He's been covering it since day one. We actually had him on way back when the news broke. We're also going to have Charlie Hatch. He covers FC Cincinnati for... Uh, the Inquirer, the local paper up in Cincinnati, and he's going to touch on why FC Cincinnati became an MLS bid. Did MLS have any, uh, did MLS tip off Cincinnati saying Columbus will be out, so you're going to have that market share? Cincinnati, remember, Cincinnati was supposed to, well, MLS wanted to announce the second club way back in like February, Armand, or way back in January. But there was some just things that were going wrong. Remember, Sacramento had that lack of an investor, and Cincinnati really wanted to lock down the stadium deal. I don't think there's anything to do with Columbus, to be fair to MLS, but I do think there is almost something there. A lot of people think that you know Columbus, Cincinnati was put in to kind of, all right, Columbus, you're gone. Cincinnati, you can take up all the rest of the market. I don't think that's the case. I generally don't know. I can't. You can't really. I don't think you look that much into this move. I think it's. We're gonna have Mon talk about the impact of what that could happen. But I don't think you could read too much into the move of Cincinnati. Cincinnati has great fans. They're a great. <coughs> excuse me. Organization. They've shown the interest. The question I think is more of will they be coexisting with the crew or will they be just occupying that new market as a whole? I don't know. Yeah, so uh, stay tuned, listeners. Throughout this mini-series, we hope to answer those questions you may have. Well, up next, we're going to get into the Columbus side of things. We're going to have Andrew Erickson of The Dispatch. Joining us now on the show is Andrew Erickson of the Columbus Dispatch. You can follow him at Twitter, at AErickssonCD. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're doing well. At least we're not going through legal papers like you are. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. The, jo- the jobs changed a little bit in that respect. I think I tweeted out a couple weeks ago that they were already at like 650 plus pages of, of legal documents. So the crew beats definitely changed, but it, it's never a dull day. And yeah, well, hey, Columbus is even good on the field. So you're busy on the field and off the field. But Andrew, so much has gone on with the Columbus crew. I feel like we forget exactly how we've gotten to this point. So if you could just briefly summarize how we got to pre-court wanting to leave or relocate the Columbus crew. Sure. So how long do we have on this podcast? No, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So back back in October, uh, pre-court sports ventures announced that it would explore the possibility of relocation to Austin, Texas after the 2018 season. Um, Their stated reasons at the time were, lack of corporate sponsorships, attendance struggles, and the fact that Moffrey Stadium was, was aging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and since then, they've, they've tried to see what possibilities uh, lie ahead for them in Austin. They looked at uh, Butler Shores, which was a park location just south of downtown Austin. That fell through due to public protest over the use of parkland for a stadium. Similar thing with Guerrero Park in Austin. Um, and I believe in March, they zeroed in on McCalla place, which is a kind of an old, uh, public utility storage site up, you know, 10 miles North of the city, um, North of downtown, I should say near a shopping center called the domain. Um, that's a site that city council asked its, uh, city manager to compile a report doing a site analysis and community outreach process. Um, pre-court sports ventures then put together its own separate plan, um, their conclusion what it was it's a suitable site for soccer um, and pre-court sports ventures put together a pretty detailed plan just in terms of a, you know, a lease proposal and um, how the stadium would look, how it would operate. And then this past week, a uh, separate investor put together a $22.5 million cash bid for that same site. And so I think everybody's kind of left wondering, you know, what happens with the stadium site, what where do the city council's priorities lie and uh, you know, what, what the vote is. And so um, I think we'll, we'll know a lot more by the end of this month. And, um, but, you know, I think it's fair to say that time is of the, of the essence for pre-court sports ventures uh, for its 2019 season. Andrew, can you explain to the viewers why Austin, Texas, I know for some, it might be kind of confusing, especially with, uh, some of the history they've had with some lower level, uh, some lower division soccer sides. Just why Austin, Texas? There's something he sees in that population. Does he see more potential in Columbus? What's it? What makes it so special to pre-court? You know, I, I think he had a history. You know, he he at one point held a job. I think in the either the Houston or the Houston area said he's had an affinity for Austin for the last 25 years or so. And this is obviously long before he was a, a major league soccer owner, but. The stated reason and the one they've used quite a bit is that it's the largest uh, market in the United States without a professional sports team. Now, that being said, you know, the the holes you could poke in that are, well, UT, University of Texas kind of dominates the market. Like you said, they've had previous iterations of a pro soccer team. And obviously, you know, with it being USL, those aren't as well funded. Sometimes there are stadium issues, there are debt issues. um, And so it hadn't worked out in previous iterations. But I think the the large over overarching argument that pre-court sports ventures has made is, you know, here's an untapped market in terms of professional sports. Well, the contract is specific in saying that PSV can only relocate to Austin. Are there ways to get out of that clause? Yeah, so it's an Austin specific clause and, and it's that's written into this contract. 
Um, but you know, I, I, I've had a couple people tell me there are, there are ways around that. For example, if they wanted to relocate to another place, they, they, at the end of the day could probably make that happen. Um, but the, the specific city mentioned in the clause is Austin. So, you know, I think it would be interesting to see what would happen should, you know, Austin fall through, should that not happen? But, um, you know, at, at least for now, that is their focus. And the reason, and for, again, for the listeners, the reason why the crew haven't announced the move is they're, they're still trying to get that stadium site and they're still trying to actually, you know, hammer down a spot for a team. That's correct, right? Right. Yeah. They're, they're still looking at that McCalla place site and, and that would ultimately come down to a, you know, a city council vote, whether they can put together a long-term lease that would, that would put the crew there. And then, you know, in addition to that, you would have to have a temporary stadium site and, some that have been thrown around are, are UT University of Texas's Daryl K. Royal Stadium, which is where the UT football stadium plays or football team plays rather. Um, and then you have Meyer Stadium, which is where the women's soccer and, and track teams uh, play. So a, a few options out there, and there are some you know minor league facilities and um, you know college college stadiums kind of further out in the area. I think those are less plausible, but. Um, you know, they're, you, you have to nail down the permanent site first and then the temporary site, you know, before they open their stadium in 2021. So this upcoming week is a big deal for the bit, correct? Or for the relocation, I should say. Um, yeah, I think you could just, just because this is, this is the first time, um, since the, uh, the PSV proposal came out that city council will be discussing it. So they have a, what's known as like a work session where they talk through some of the city council agenda items on Tuesday. It's not clear at this point, whether it'll come up on Thursday. Um, but I, I think they're hoping to have something in front of city council. And by what I mean by that is something they can vote on by June 28th. Um, you know, at the same time, it's, it's further complicated by the fact that one of the city council members, Leslie Poole and her, her district includes this McCalla place site is trying to put together a request for proposals so to get all the potential bid packages for developers who want to who want to build on this site to get them in front of city council. So if that happens, you know, maybe that delays the process, maybe that changes what city council is looking at, um, you know, and I think it could complicate the end of June. And, and then if they don't, if, if nothing's voted on by the end of June, then city council doesn't meet again until August. So um, like I said, time is of the essence and, the events of the last week or so have, have potentially complicated things, but I, I think we'll find more out, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Should we look into uh, FC Cincinnati being added as, you know, MLS saying, all right, maybe we should, we're ready to move on from Columbus. I mean, I don't think really there's that much in it. I think Columbus or excuse me, Cincinnati uh, has been a good mark and has shown that they're they can be a valid MLS side and has nothing to do with Columbus. But is there anything that we should look into outside of the fact that, Cincinnati is a good expansion side. No, and I, you know, I, I I thought about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, and and really, kind of the conclusion I came to was, I think the league just felt comfortable with where Cincinnati was, and is is kind of willing to live with the consequences of whatever happens with where PSV ends up. Um, I, I spoke with Commissioner Don Garber, and he mentioned in no uncertain terms that you know, no, these two these two situations are not related. It's not like we're looking at two teams in Columbus or two teams in Cincinnati. The state of Ohio is big enough and, and there is enough interest in soccer to potentially support two teams, but it comes down to being able to find, you know, a, a stadium solution in Columbus, 
being able to find a, a better corporate sponsorship situation in Columbus, um, and just overall kind of increasing the uh, the life in that market and, and, and boosting them back up to a level of, of what FC Cincinnati's found in the last three years. So with the complications going down in Austin, what has the city of Columbus or even the state of Ohio done to keep the crew? Well, at, at least at the local level, that's that's been the Columbus Partnership, which is kind of a consortium of, of business executives. And um, their president and CEO, Alex Fisher, has taken a couple meetings with um, MLS Deputy Commissioner Mark Abbott. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of a preliminary process. I think while Austin plays out, it's it's hard for that hard for those conversations to go too far. Um, I think we'll find out more, you know, in the next month or so, like how far those talks can get. But those con- conversations have at least been had. I, I think initially um, part of the issue was that group didn't necessarily feel like it could make a ton of progress um, while this scenario in Austin was playing out. They felt like they didn't want to get into a bidding process and felt like, you know, as a, as a growing American city, they shouldn't be um, you know, on, on their hands and knees, essentially begging for the team to come back. So I, I think you'll know more, you know, once the, the situation in Austin has kind of figured itself out and played out. But, um, you know, there are folks with at least, a, you know, some interest in, in keeping the team in Columbus at this point. Andrew, can you give us just like a brief explanation of the Model Law or the quote-unquote Model Law, which is uh, being used right now, uh, which is, why PSV and MLS are in court right now to try to get this dismissed. Can you just like a brief description of what that entails? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I should note that I failed to mention that another complication in the situation is that um, <laughs> a, a judge a judge in Franklin County, which is where Columbus is located, granted a 90-day pause in this lawsuit, which PSV and MLS has argued that it's preventing them from moving at the moment. How true that is at this point, I, I don't know, but there's at least a 90-day pause in this lawsuit, and it'll go on at least until uh, till early August. So I think, you know, uh, as far as background, there, there should be that. But um, the Modell Law was enacted in 1996 when uh, Art Modell, who was then the owner of the Browns, um, moved the team to Baltimore. And so these politicians in Ohio said, okay, let's enact this law to prevent any, any teams, professional sports teams or owners that receive public benefit or play majority of their home games in a tax-supported facility. Um, they can't move the team without either getting permission from you know, the, the public entity, which would be a city or a state, or um, giving six months' notice prior to a move and giving locals the opportunity to purchase the team. Now, Part of the complication with that is it's a law written in 1996, which is the you know the first year of Major League Soccer. So it wasn't necessarily written with Major League Soccer or Major League Soccer relocations in mind. Um, and, and you know a few people have pointed out how vague it is. Like what is what does a local mean in terms of um, you know giving somebody an opportunity to to buy the team? So I think you know in the next next few months here or potentially further down the road, you could see a judge interpret that law state whether it's constitutional or not um but yeah that's the issue at hand is you have a law from 1996 um in theory holding this move up um at the very least the city attorney zach klein and the state attorney general mike dewine have have tried to use this law um, to keep the crew in columbus or to challenge the move um but yeah it's it's a kind of another wrench in things as it were 
Andrew, I want to shift to what's going on on the field with the team being successful. Sure. How has Greg Bol- uh, Bearholter been able to maintain a high level of soccer and success through this complicated legal battle and the fans not showing up to games and all that? Yeah, well, I think one thing was, and, and this might be overlooked in the situation, is they had kind of a a head start on things just with the fact that this announcement happened right before the playoffs. Um, it was October 17th. Then they played their final regular season game. Then they had a five game playoff run to kind of test out, you know, how do we insulate ourselves from this outside news? How do we rally around this, so to speak? Um, so they had that test run and it seems like things have carried over at least into the early part of the season. Um, if players are distracted or, or are reading headlines and clips, they certainly aren't. Um, aren't showing it on the field. They've only lost three games to this point, and I think have had a few disappointing performances here and there. I think you could ask some questions about, um, you know, their offensive production without Ola Kamara and Justin Merrim, but the defense has been stronger. I think there's been more continuity along the back line, um, and they're allowing fewer goals. And so when you kind of blend those things together, um, the results have been better, and that indicates a team that, that hasn't been distracted by, you know, the issues off the field. I just want to touch on this. It may not be relocated, relocation related, but Giacis Ares has been playing incredible uh, as of as of late. Did anyone see this when, especially when Columbus made that deal to ship Ola Kamara out and bring in Giacis? You know, I, I I think I wouldn't have I wouldn't have predicted ten goals through through sixteen games. I'm I'm not sure anybody would have, um, but I, I at least thought he was going to get a chance to to earn the starting uh, striker job. And you have a guy who has shown his athletic capabilities. You know, his first touch always, hasn't always been great. He's been kind of dog for that in recent years. But it's a guy who had had injuries, who had broken his foot at the end of, 20, the end of 2016 season, had knee surgery prior to 20, um, 2017, and kind of never got on track with the LA Galaxy that season. You know, was playing right back by the end of the season. But I think what the crew showed from the very beginning was belief. You know, they thought this guy had the physical attributes um, to be able to score goals off crosses, to be able to score one-touch goals, to be able to – you know, play defense and press when needed. Um, so all the physical attributes were there. I think it was just a matter of transitioning into the crew system, which is built on creating chances for, for the striker. So he's been able to stay healthy. You've seen him be able to integrate into that system pretty easily. Um, and the result has been goals and his confidence increasing week by week. So, you know, 16 games in, he's now at 10 goals and in theory on pace for 20 goals, which I don't think any of us would have expected, but I, I definitely expected him to get a few. Well, Andrew, we appreciate your time. I just want to give you this moment to ask you if you wanted to add anything regarding the team on the field or anything or any legal troubles off the field regarding the Columbus crew. Um, no, I, I would just say pay attention to the next month because it's going to be a big one when we talk about the city council meetings, um, mm. the potential rival bids for this McCalla Place site. Um, you know, all of those things will be interesting. I, I think the team will keep chugging along. And, um, you know, the question, like I said, will be whether they can replace the offensive production loss, you know, with the trades of Justin Merriman, Ola Kamara. But, but off the field, this is, a, this is a big month for determining, you know, whether Austin's a realistic solution or whether uh, PSV and MLS kind of have to go back to the drawing board to determine where this team's going to play in 2019. Well, Andrew, we appreciate it. Uh, where can we follow you, follow you on Twitter and where can we follow or get all your reading and all your analysis regarding all this great stuff. Sure. So, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at a Erickson CD, um, and then all of the dispatches coverage is on dispatch.com and, and dispatch.com/slash Awesome. Well, Andrew, we appreciate it. Thank you very much.
Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, Armand, was there anything that Andrew told us that maybe opened your eyes or made you rethink anything? Well, the ability that the Austin Clause is apparently easy to get out of or they'll find a way to get out of it, uh, that's uh, very interesting, you know, especially with the whole Sacramento talk that came out. Could they switch feet and pivot and go towards Sacramento if Austin doesn't work out? What would that mean, I mean, though, for the league and having an owner like that where, like, you know, they want out of Columbus, so they go to Austin. Well, Austin seems too complicated, so we're dipping and we're going to go somewhere else. It's not good. I mean, to be honest with you, it, means it shows that I guess you didn't plan properly to move into Austin. You kind of just have like an NBA 2K relocation where you just click two buttons and you're already there, you know? Uh, I guess I guess that means it's, it's not I guess it's not like that, you know? No, nah, but Austin has been giving him trouble, and to be honest with you, I would not be surprised if they weren't in Austin. I get, especially with all, it's just so much trouble that I have I, over the last say week, and I mean seriously a week with all what I've read regarding the legal issues and the challenges going on in Austin, I'm beginning to doubt if the Columbus crew end up in Austin. If anything, they're either going somewhere else or they stay in Columbus and Precourt sells his stake and is forced out because the fans aren't going to turn up. You know, it's one, it's one of those things, man. It's one of those things where I feel like if it was a done, if it was easy, it'd be done by now. Right. That's, that's what I I, I was, because don't they want to play next uh, starting next year, season. next season, starting I mean? next year, they want, they want, they want to play. So they got to get the stuff figured out now, right? Yeah, no, they have to because you have to relocate. Are you relocating the entire front office? Are you relocating? You relocate everything, right? So you're you're gonna keep all the players. You're gonna keep all the coaches. I wonder how many players or how many coaches will say Saranara. You know, probably none. Man, I mean, I think they all want they all want to play. Wherever they wherever they can, I don't think you can say Sarnara to uh, the place. Right. I think Austin's also and Austin Austin's Austin is also not that bad of a city as well. well. It's warmer. Remember, it's a warmer city. It's more of an international city, and I I think the fans are gonna be better if not just as good. Not saying the Columbus fans I, are bad. I think they they could be better because it's the shiny new object we've seen with the shiny new object, what it's done in Atlanta, what it has done in Orlando with all these new expansion sides fans turn out that first season I'm very bullish on Austin Sacramento I can see but Austin it's just I, I don't still know. don't it's, understand why Austin I, is the city they have picked it just it doesn't again it's kind of like the whole Atlanta thing but Atlanta at least has the other professional sports teams well you're Atlanta's going a into huge an unknown. city I exactly. get it you're kind of going into an unknown yeah, with right. like Austin absolutely Anyway, we're going to take a – I guess we're going to go down the freeway and head into Cincinnati. We're going to have Charlie Half. He covers FC Cincinnati for the Inquirer. We're going to talk about FC Cincinnati's introduction to MLS. And how does the crew's relocation conversation affect FC Cincinnati and the market there? All 
Friday listeners, joining us right now is Charlie Hath. He is the reporter for The Inquirer covering FC Cincinnati. You can follow him on Twitter at CharlieHath underscore. Charlie, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? We're doing good. Armand, you and I talked last summer that FC Cincinnati would be great expansion bid. Now, Charlie, how has soccer culture evolved in Cincinnati through the years? It's actually a really strange situation in that it's kind of blown up out of nowhere. So for context, um, in 2015, I was an intern for the Cincinnati Saints. Uh, They were an NPSL team. I think the average might have been 100 people a game, but that might have been because we had 200 at the first couple games. So there's no one going. We sat around. We said, um, look, this FC Cincinnati team is supposed to come. We don't know if they actually will be able to produce anything, there's no Cincinnati has a history of having previous professional teams, but none of them really lasted. So here comes FC Cincinnati. Um, John Harks comes in as the first head coach, the first premier league player from the United States. And suddenly it looked credible. uh, And then the fans took off. So first 14,000, the first game uh, that continued on and, Really, I, I sat with Don Garber uh, right before the announcement, and he said, you know, we weren't really looking at Cincinnati as anything significant. And then next thing you know, uh, there's this 2017 Open Cup run when they beat Columbus Crew, which fans liked. But then you have the penalty shootout win with uh, Garber there, as well as former U.S. President Sunil Galati, uh, both in attendance. And then it's pretty obvious that Cincinnati is pretty big heavy hitter um and then there was just a long wait for the expansion announcement could you say that the fans of fc cincinnati kind of forced their way into mls i mean they definitely play their part it wasn't just them but the reality is this they've got a strong ownership group that's led by a billionaire uh, carlin the third um, the amount of money that the club has put in, the resources that have been put in to uh, help make sure that there is something sustainable, um, regardless of who shows up at the game, they've got that going uh, and did quite well at that. Now, the fans coming in and then obviously having that many people there, um, for a while it felt like people were just breaking attendance records every game. In that regard, yeah, there's no way that MLS could look at that and ignore it, I think. Uh, obviously, there need to be a strong ownership group and stadium and everything like that. But the fan support, especially considering the situation going on in Columbus, where they were averaging sometimes double what the crew had. I know there's different situations and circumstances, but it was something that people in Cincinnati, at least, it felt like, look, we've done enough. Why is it this taking place? So <clears throat> moving forward, Will FC Cincinnati do the Atlanta route, and that is to spend money on young players, or are they going to go more of the NYCFC and go and find an older European player to model the club after? I think it's a mix. So they, they're they in a weird circumstance in that, um, to this point, they've not had a player that's bigger than the club. Uh, Emmanuel Ledesma, who had played in the English Championship, uh, has been their best player this season. Uh, He'll be one of a few players likely to move up with the team from USL. Um, But then going forward, I mean, how do you – I think they'll want to keep it young. The expansion draft 
uh, will help it bring in veterans. But then you have the super draft coming up for the team. Um, the one thing that they've not really had to worry about is how big of Cincinnati's market is affecting, you know, big time international players that are older, like you mentioned. I can see them going the young route. I think that's probably the more sustainable thing. Uh, the one thing that's taken place, at least to this point, is regardless of the players on the field, people have showed up. Uh, I think that will continue, at least in the short term. Eventually, obviously, they'll have to have quality. Um, but I don't think there's a huge need to go out and get some proven international player when they can get people to develop. Obviously, as long as they win, that's what their focus is. They're kind of in a tough spot, right? I mean, they have to start within almost six, seven months. And did they kind of get a head start of this and kind of anticipate this coming uh, and kind of prepare for this? Or was it as soon as MLS uh, announced the expansion, all right, now it's time to get to work? No, I mean, they've had stuff going on for a while. When they announced the team, um, they made it pretty obvious that there were ambitions to move forward into MLS. Um, They just kept saying first class, uh, everything that was their description. Obviously, they were in the third tier at the time, and now in the second tier. Uh, But no, they've they've gone out and made some of the signings that they've brought in. Uh, 442 wrote a story a couple, I think it was last year, saying here's some guys that MLS team should look at. Well, then Cincinnati got three of the seven players on that list. Uh, they brought in some guys. They brought in Michael LaHood, who played a uh, proven MLS player uh, this couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, Luke Sassano was hired as the technical director earlier this year. He's from New York Cosmos, uh, helped bring in some of their players. And they're, he is now on his way looking for talent. They'll probably move in this upcoming transfer window. I think at this point, the strange situation is you have this roster that's first in USL's Eastern Conference. Obviously, you want to win the league, uh, but you want to bring in MLS players and let them develop. But how many players want to go to the second division for a couple months before that MLS uh, promotion? So uh, they're, they are moving forward. But yeah, I mean, you're right. You look at the, the timeline, you're like, this isn't a lot of time. But I think FC Cincinnati anticipated this. Uh, Don Garber said, that when um, LAFC opened up their stadium on April 29th, he congratulated the FC Cincinnati uh, representatives. And so they've known since then. In reality, I think people knew before that just the way the expansion um, situation was going with Sacramento's financial stuff. Um, So it isn't a, a lot of time, but I think they've probably done as much as they can behind the scenes to make sure they get to that point. Now, Charlie, we're going through a mini-series here um, talking about the relocation of the Columbus crew and whether or not that's going to happen, where they end up, who it affects. Um, We asked Andrew Erickson, who covers the crew in Columbus, whether or not FC Cincinnati's bid affected uh, was affected by the crew's or pre-court's vision of relocation. From your understanding, would you say that had any effect or none no effect. I'm curious what he said. He uh, he and I sat next to each other at the FC Cincinnati announcement. Um, he, I would say yes and no. Um, I mean, the situation in Cincinnati is entirely different for obvious reasons. Uh, talking to Garber, he said, look, we'd like to have a rivalry here. 
You know, we don't want to move a team. But that being said, there's just not a good situation going on in Columbus. The owner actively wanting the team to move has forced friends of mine to say, look, well, I'm not going to go buy season tickets and invest in that, um, which I understand. Um, I think people want an answer. We want an answer. Uh, I think they'll play one season together in MLS before the team eventually does move. Uh, I don't know. Now, this would be interesting, though. There's some legal stuff going on. Uh, just because the Cleveland Browns moved for the Baltimore Ravens uh, in 1995. And so as a result, uh, there's been some hesitation with Columbus being able to move uh, and that's in court. But one thing I'd be curious about is if it doesn't work out in Austin, would there be interested or interest in possibly going to Sacramento and filling in that spot there? Uh, Because they haven't offered that expansion timeline. Garber said, look, we aren't ready for a second round or a final round here. Um, but if there is interest, it kind of seems like it would make sense. I know that might be like a hot take, um, but it, it seems like at this point there's a possibility just because everything happening with Columbus is just remaining stagnant. Now, Charlie, we reported this past week that Precourt has had conversation with Sacramento. We don't know to what degree, but where are you judging this? Where's this coming from? Was there something that you read or saw or you talked to regarding the link between the crew and Sacramento? No, I mean, this is just like a uh, speculation. There's not been anyone saying that. Um, I don't talk to anybody in Columbus to figure out anything going on there. Um, this is more of just, if you just examine from the broader scope, here's a, a, an expansion group that clearly wants a team. Uh, And then you have a guy who's struggling to move a team to Austin. Uh, It sounds like Austin's not that excited about it. So is there potential for that? If they're looking for a lead investor in Sacramento, that he pre-court would fill in that role there. So this is just speculation. This isn't me saying this is a rumor or this is taking place, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you also mentioned that the you you thought that there could be a potential uh, delay. Uh, how would that affect uh, Cincinnati? I mean, you get the hell is real uh, derby for a year. Uh, would it af- would it affect Cincinnati in a good or a bad way? In that, all right, maybe some of the soccer fans that might have gone to Cincinnati due to Columbus leaving aren't going to be there for a year. Or is it good because it's going to make add more interest? Uh, between uh, the two squads? I think it depends. I don't know if the players necessarily that invested into it. I know as a fan, that would be something that fans would like to have. So, um, you know, people who grew up, I'm from Cincinnati. I had season tickets to the Columbus crew as a kid. And so to a lot of people, they would make this 100-mile drive with regularity. So the fact that Cincinnati came, obviously there's no point driving up there. Uh, Columbus crew had a bit of a, well, didn't have the strongest marketing campaign. Obviously if the owner was trying to move the team that would help explain it, but Cincinnati came in and filled this void and since it's taken off. Um, so I think Cincinnati fans in general, they would like to see this rivalry. Um, if you look beyond this, the next closest team would be Nashville or Chicago, which aren't exactly it's four or five hours. It's not that close. Um, but even as, Early, uh, yesterday, in the Red Bull game against uh, Columbus, there were a group that looked like about 50 FC Cincinnati fans who went up to support the Save the Crew movement. So 
there is interaction with the fans online. They would like to have it happen. Uh, personally, I would like to have it happen. Uh, when they played last year, it was fantastic. There were over 30,000 people. They played again in a close scrimmage, and I was one of, like, six people watching. And Cincinnati won 4-2, but it, it just wasn't exciting, and it didn't feel like the last time these teams would play. So hopefully, from the Cincinnati perspective, um, it it is something that lingers. Um, how long, I don't know. Um, I don't know if the national TV markets would be that interested in that matchup, but I think something locally that would be uh, that'd be as big as it could get. Well, Charlie, we appreciate it. Um, just wanted to give you the floor for any additions you wanted to add regarding Save the Crew and FC Cincinnati. No, I think the fans have done their part. Uh, what happens now will probably be decided in court or in uh, boardrooms. As for Cincinnati... They don't exactly have a long timetable, but Alan Koch has come in in weird situations after John Hart got fired and turned around a team this offseason. Uh, they brought in 18 guys. Uh, they know what they're doing in terms of bringing in people for next season. We'll see what actually happens. Uh, but it should be fun. I think the collective mood in Cincinnati is excitement. Um, there's still interest in the 2018 season, um, but there is this curiosity of what looms ahead. Well, Charlie, it's also a shameless plug. Shameless plug. So go ahead and plug where we can find your work and where we can find you on any social media platform. Well, seriously, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm at the Cincinnati Inquirer, so Cincinnati.com, and then on Twitter at Charlie Hatch with an underscore. The guy who has it, I think, has like two. Without the underscore, has like two followers. So uh, <laughs> I'm not bitter though. There you go. Well, <laughs> we appreciate it, Charlie, and hope to have you back on. All right, thank you so much. Well, there you have the Ohio perspective of the Columbus Crew's rumor of relocation because we don't know what's going to happen. It's still a rumor. They're still in Columbus. They're still playing. They have a pretty damn good team. Team that I wouldn't want to play in the playoffs because Burhalter knows what he's doing. Team seems to be playing just fine with all this speculation going on off, off the field. But Armand, I mean just by talking to Andrew and Charlie, has any of your opinion changed? Not really. I still think it's up in the air. They're going to move to Austin or not. But I think the more, especially with what Charlie said about just the log, being logical about Sacramento, I think that is very interesting. I wonder how many people, including Anthony Precourt, think the same thing. I wonder if Precourt was like, yeah, Austin, Austin, and then he starts to look at Austin and – the high come wears off, and then he's like, crap, I don't want to go to Austin anymore. Please make this really complicated so he can oh, no. pivot. I think I, I see why he wants to go to Austin, though. I genuinely I Austin do. would be a genuinely fun city, and it would be cool because there are marketing aspects of the city that uh, Columbus does not offer. Like what? Well, you do. People don't realize you do have the Circuit of the Americas there. The Circuit of the Americas is the racetrack, and that is very popular internationally. 
Okay, you have Formula One goes there. You have MotoGP. You have all these car races. It pulls people there. It's a destination for the motorsport enthusiast. Okay, you just add all these different layers. It's a warm city climate, so it's it's also a very liberal city. Soccer fans tend to be more liberal, so you attract that. You have a college there. I know you have OSU at or in Columbus. It kind of offsets with UT, but Texas is a very strong soccer city you look at houston you look at dallas you look at all the youth you look at all the soccer fields on every street corner possible they're there especially in the uh suburban areas of the major metropolitan texas cities but and and someone who someone like a devil's advocate can come back and say dallas is terrible attendance houston doesn't have that great what's gonna make austin different yeah but who's in charge of marketing Exactly, but if I'm an outsider and I'm gonna and I'm playing devil's advocate and, and want to defend my club, I'm gonna point to those two things and be like, I don't care who's an owner, I don't care who's a marketer. These these do show that there's not what's it called a success. Houston has a downtown stadium, they and they can't pull as many. Dallas, we all know the story from me just bitching all the time on the pod. So what's gonna make? So if I'm someone from Columbus, I'm gonna ask, what's gonna make Austin different from those two cities? You, you can mention marketing and this. The shiny you can mention object, you can mention all those things, but at the same time, I'm still gonna be like, I'm gonna point to those things. Like I don't care if it's a shiny object. Okay, d- d- what about this? Devil's advocate to that. What makes Columbus a better city, or why should the crew stay in Columbus? The crew should stay stay in Columbus because we've seen the potential. Have we? We've seen the potential. I think we have. I think we've seen the potential of it. If it stays, here's the thing. If it stays and then it dies down, and then I think there's going to be questions asked. But I think Columbus is almost on par with most of the lower MLS markets, and we're not clamoring for them to be moved. Are we clamoring for Dallas to be moved out of Dallas? No. Well, okay. We're, he, he, we're, but, we're clamor- but here's the thing. Dallas is what a top ten city in America. I don't know what it is on that list. It's top ten in, in, as far as size. Should be really low. It should the team should rename itself FC Frisco, not FC Dallas, because it's it's nowhere near the heart of Dallas. But Columbus, I get it. I understand if you're a fan, you want your club to stay. I, I'm not going to sit there and take your club away from you. But you have to understand, looking at it from Precourt's vision, Precourt's eyes, his shoes. I personally don't think he's making any money off this investment. Sure, the club might increase in value, but if he doesn't sell you, sell the club, he's not making that much more money off it. The fans have revolted. The introduction of FC Cincinnati may not affect say, uh, hashtag save the crew, but FC Cincinnati does provide a market for the Columbus crew, so MLS can sit there and go, well, we got our, you know, Bases covered as far as market share, so we could theoretically relocate the crew somewhere else to get a new market. Say Colorado, so the club that you mentioned about relocation. The problem with that is what team in the state of Colorado, what market there would they grasp onto? Would it be Sporting KC or would it be Real Salt Lake? I, I highly doubt it. I know here in Wisconsin. Well, well I, I just want to throw – sorry to interrupt you, Steve – uh, I just want to throw just a couple of numbers out there because I, I did a quick research. And these are obviously from – not obviously, but they're from Wikipedia. So, I mean, I don't know how accurate they are, but these are just numbers. 
Austin is the 31st uh, biggest metropolitan statistical area. You know who's number 32? The crew. Columbus. Columbus. Yes. 29, Cincinnati. 27, Sacramento. Is it really worth all this, going all these hoops for a potential like what jump in the market of like five? My thing is, when I look at, I see why he wants to go to Austin, but from the Columbus perspective, I see why they're like, wait, what's the difference between us and Austin? And I see what you're saying, you know, international city, circuit of the Americas. First off, the circuit of the Americas hates MLS Austin because that guy is trying to bring that USL team in. So he hates MLS well, uh, I, I'm not Austin. saying that he does it. I'm not saying the the what the circuit of America is. What I'm saying is it it has an attraction from it has it has an attraction, and people love Austin. I mean, I oh, absolutely the, the the people the people that I know that go to university there absolutely love it. They don't come back. It's one of those cities that's attracting the younger person. But like I said, I just I think if Columbus, you give them a shiny new object in terms of the stadium. I think the pull is there. That statement has been neglected for, what, 21 years or something well, ridiculous like that? Thing it's a dump. We have yet to see from an MLS side is building an original side building. Uh, well, I guess Sporting KC would be one of those. But at least in in recent years, a, a 1.0 team rebuilding or re-imaging Would you count Red Bull themselves. in that? Yeah, but they were the first. And it's kind of like what would Red Bulls look like if they had done it in 2018 – than when they open their stadium. You know what I'm saying? It's like Dallas. Would Dallas be different if they had built their stadium 2018 rather than 2006? I mean, yeah. It's, 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 it's when we look at uh, Columbus, that stadium has been neglected. Will, would a new stadium help them out? And it's something that Precourt has to look at, and I think it could, but I can also see why he wants to invest in that Austin. That that Austin area, it, like I said, I see both sides. I do too. At, I do too. At the, at, at the same time, I just uh, the more speaking, the more listening, the more I just see Austin not working out. And I like I think Charlie said, Austin doesn't seem like they're really enthusiastic about this MLS team, right? Like, no, you're right. You're right. I. The thing is, I'm bummed if Austin doesn't get the team because I see myself living there in a few near future. So, it's, you got that I hashtag biased bias view hashtag bias. Yes, I'm biased. So at me, I, I really don't care. What I'm saying is, I see both sides of the argument, but are the both sides the fans' perspective is irrelevant. It is dependent on Precourt's shoes. It's his vision that matters because he owns the club, 100% stake. Yes, just contracts, but. He can do whatever he wants, so we'll see where it ends up. We'll be back with another episode in our mini-series covering the Columbus relocation. We had the Ohio perspective today, so be back for more. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. 
Our powered by True Car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.